So this is sure it's our business right here. We're out on Western Avenue out here in Chicago IL. And this is the place. And this is B-Side. I'm Cameron Keith. And that was Charlie Festa uh, from Threadless.com. Is Ron here? Okay. Well, hello, Ron. Hi, Ron. I'm Tamara. Hi, Tamara. I'm Ron. And uh, where are we? Who are you? What is this? You're at Shirts Our Business Limited here in Chicago, and this is a print shop. We do silk screening on T-shirts and a variety of cloth accessories. So can you show me around? Uh, show me how, how the shirts happen? Um, this is where we store screens each one of these screens is a job or part of a job and each color in a design requires a separate screen uh, this is a 16 station 14 color press we shoot our own screens all the graphics uh, that we end up putting on the screens it comes out of the computer so what is this what is being printed here well you happen to be seeing a threadless design being printed I love you, CPU. That's the shirt that's being that, printed. That's the shirt. It's a threadless design, and you get to see the progression of how this works and the succession of ink colors that are being laid down. Essentially, you see four colors here that are being printed onto the shirt. The white, green, safety green, and black. Each one of these is represented by one of these screens. You just heard them. That's what you were listening to. The front blade that you're seeing spreads the ink. The other blade in front is actually a squeegee, and it works much like a squeegee would work on a window. The ink is a liquid, and you're pushing it over a smooth, flat surface. And where the open spaces are on the screen, that forces the ink through and creates the image. Each one of those pieces, like a puzzle or a coloring book, they all fall into place, form the completed design, blending all the colors and forming a graphic. So, so this shirt that is being printed right yes. now, it is called I Love You CPU. Yes. And it is a tan shirt with um, a bunch of, it's several colors. Right. Usually the colors are matched from what the artist specs using an international code for colors. That way they can dictate what the color is and know that what they've designed and how they've designed it is reproduced authentically. There, there's an artist who uh, we have a story about, and she um, she would not be able to wear this shirt. Because? Because as part of her art, as part of, of this, this project she launched into, she wore the same color for an entire year. What color? It was, it was red for the first year. Well, see, red's a good color. I usually try and wear red on Mondays because I think it shows an aggressive nature. So... If I don't hit the ground running on Monday, what do I have for the rest of the week? Really? Yes. And and then do you wear something else on Tuesday? I mean, do you is what you wear based on your mood? And what's clean. Sometimes it's the weather. Sometimes it's your mood. Sometimes it is what's clean. For Linda Montano, what was clean for an entire year was red. And then the next year it was a different color. And she did this for seven years. See, if you're so directed, clothing does give you that opportunity. So if her expression was to be read every single day, clothing affords you that opportunity. It's the one thing that you can change and be consistent with your changes or lack of change. 
So apparently she loved red and decided for her purposes that red was her image. So God bless. So besides Jody Avergan paid her a visit to talk about this art piece. Yeah, my, I, I come from, from very, very hardworking uh, parents. They're, they're, they were extremely devoted to, to single-mindedness and focus. And I luckily inherited that, that um, gift. I really call it a gift. And then I turned it into art and into endurance. So it was never difficult. It was never difficult. It was joy. It was it was colorful. It was fun. It was, it was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful job. And I gave it to myself as a job, just because it was something I had to work at. It was like going to work, and I went to art instead of work. That, that vow to wear seven different colors, which were associated with the seven chakras, and those colors are red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple, and white. My idea was that I would, would bypass habituation and bypass getting used to and bypass the habit of forgetting and I would always remember because I would be looking down and for the first year see all red everything socks shoes winter coats winter hats winter gloves second year I would look down or I would look up and I would see orange shirts handkerchiefs not that I use them but they would have been orange the third year I would have a yellow coat yellow boots etc I had that kind of joyousness about it because it's just wonderful for one thing to go into the Salvation Army here in Kingston and and look at their racks of all red, all orange, all yellow, all green, blue, all purple, white. They had it all ready for me. I I literally remember just breaking the rule one time and I wore black as a, as a, a kind of clothing sin. Um, but I... Honest, honest, swear on a stack of Bibles, wore all red, all orange, all yellow, all green, all blue, all purple, all white. And then at the end, I decided, this is too much. This is so wonderful. Plus, I have all these clothes, bags and bags of thrift store and, and re-dyed. And, and so I said, I went up the chakras, I'm going down the chakras. So I did white again, so it was two years of white in a row. Then I did purple, then I did blue, then I did green. So it was a 14-year vow, um, broken once with black. And I was very happy to do the job, and it, and it it, it, it did do the job of bringing me into a kind of alertness and a kind of um, uh, meditative awareness, which was always, always something that, that fascinated me.
I became a living sculpture. I became a walking sculpture. Um, and this piece was about being a living sculpture, a, a living, walking, talking, uh, clothes-wearing, color, colored sculpture. And I think subconsciously I knew that I needed the attention of the viewer or the audience, and, and so the person on the street became my audience. Honest, honestly, I don't really, I don't, I sort of remember people looking. They must have when it was all yellow and and all pur- not not so much purple, but all, all white, all red. All um, I don't remember any gawkers, or I don't remember people like stopping on the street. I do remember one story. I went to the St. Patrick's Day parade in my orange year, and I did feel out of place because a lot of Irish people wear only green, and I think there's a kind of orange is a the color of Northern Ireland, I believe, and is a um, is an enemy color or something like that. But I, that was the only time I was I felt uncomfortable. I don't I don't remember feeling looked at un- extensively or looked over, but I should have been because it was pretty wild. Linda Montano is a performance artist she lives in upstate New York, and her website is bobsart.org slash Montano. And this piece was produced by Jody Abergan. And we are here with Ron at the um, at a giant print shop. Shirts are business limited. And, yeah, I mean, it's floor to ceiling with stuff. Screens, shirts. Equipment, it's everything we need to put graphics, artwork, images, words, sayings, slogans, ideas on shirts or clothing. Yeah, so that art project is is sort of, you can't imagine it. No, plain is good because I suppose everyone that looks at her in her red shirt every day, um, what is art but a subjective view from the outside in, so we can imagine whatever we want on her blank canvas, so... You know, she's given everybody an opportunity. So we've been touring around here. Um, What else do you have to show us? Well, I can show you part of the labeling process. And since this is about art and artists, part of the threadless uh, model is that each of the people that produces an art piece that's won and is produced, they actually get some street credibility because their name is in every single one of the shirts that are produced. So what better thing than to be able to send your message out there to thousands and thousands of people and have them know where it came from. All right, let's go over there. Let, let's go. It does feel like we're in an episode of Mr. Rogers right now. Who is that guy, the messenger? I don't know. Mr. Rogers has been dead for a while now. But... I know, but he lives on with me. Yeah, no. I, I... I still have to feed the fishes. Um, Right here you're witnessing a labeling process. It's kind of a cool thing. It's like what better way than to have your 
art multiplied in each one of them, in essence, really being a signed piece. So this is the t-shirt folding machine. I think I need one of these for my house. Um, just bring your stuff over here. We'll take care of it. <laughs> Do you ever print on maternity clothing? Is there such a thing as a maternity t-shirt? You know what? There's there's t-shirts for everything. The maternity clothing, anything that people wear, whether it's special purpose or special use things, whether it's for sporting goods or for lifestyle. I guess pregnancy is a lifestyle, so at least for nine months. So, yes, yes, we have. It, it is available, and it's quite useful. I mean, it's like I'm a father myself, and I know my wife wore it, so... And then you also do, I know that that um, that Threadless has onesies occasionally. They do have onesies. That's for the end result of the pregnancy. It's a little baby shirt. Correct. Besides Rob Sachs and his wife are sort of working their way through that nine months right now. And Rob has been completely fascinated by maternity clothing. It's just an extension of other types of clothing. Back in the day, there were men's pants called Sanzibelt pants that had big elastic waistbands. It's, it was to avoid discomfort. I think what you're basically trying to do is to keep somebody who's doing a miraculous job of giving birth and creating a life a little bit of comfort during the process. I think for Rob, it is just new and fascinating. Um, and he's just, as, as the process has gone along, he's noticed some pretty significant changes in his wife and her wardrobe. When I first learned Anna was pregnant, I was excited, enthralled, a little scared, and then confused. I've known since my first birds and bees conversations how pregnancies take nine months, but that still didn't erase my idea of what a pregnant woman should look like. For me, being pregnant means having a massive protrusion from your abdomen, waddling around, and of course, having your belly button turn from an innie to an outie. Now, this may still all be in the cards for Anna, but that hasn't quite happened yet. In fact, for the first three months of it, nothing much happened at all in terms of her waist size. There were other hormonal changes, greater skin sensitivity, an amazing new sense of smell, and weird aversions to food she's always loved, but no big belly. For a while, I began to think nothing was going to happen, but then one morning, I heard a shrill whine emanating from Anna's closet. Ah! Whoa there, whoa there. It wasn't that dramatic. It was more like a... Ugh. Okay, okay. Thanks, Anna. Now, anyway, getting back to the story, whatever that sound that came from Anna, it struck me as something a little bit different from our normal dissatisfaction. I sensed there might be something actually legitimate going on here. And then I heard, Rob, nothing in my closet fits me anymore. Okay, that part was true. See, I wasn't completely off. But anyway, I turned to her expecting to see some big metamorphosis, like she's turned into a hippo or something. But instead, she showed me a little hump growing on her tummy. Nothing enormous, but enough to upset her waistline. And then I broke it down for him in pretty simple terms. I said, Rob, we need to go shopping. And thus, we entered the world of maternity clothes. Now... I've been inside a woman's store with her before, so I know the drill. Find the man chair in the back, wait till she finds something sexy, give my nod of approval, and then get the hell out of there. But the maternity store is a completely different kind of place. 
what I soon learned is that they're sneaky. For instance, with the jeans, you think there's a zipper, but in reality, the top is all elastic with a stretchy band that gets neatly hidden by those oversized maternity shirts. And like Tofurky, maternity jeans are just a little off. Some of the styles are not bad, but they're also just a little bit ugly. Things are like totally messed up in there. Messed up? Well, just different. I mean, to top things off, maternity dressing rooms have the added bonus of being equipped with a funny little pillow. And at first, I thought this was for sitting down on, but I soon realized that it's actually for shoving up your shirt to see how things will fit a few months down the road. I couldn't believe it. After all these years of hearing about how women stuff themselves into sizes way too small for them, this is probably the only place on earth where the goal is to look fatter. Well, what about those fake sumo wrestling outfits? Okay, well, that's a little bit irrelevant, but a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Now, where was I? Oh, yes, the maternity store. And my next revelation, with most shopping expeditions, you search hard enough, you're bound to find something acceptable. But with maternity clothes, even if you do find something you actually like, you have the joy of knowing that it will only fit you for a few months. And furthermore, those elastic bands aren't cheap. Maternity jeans can be two to three more times expensive than your normal pair of Levi's. It's almost as if the industry is saying, well, you better have another kid to make this one worth your while. Well, don't forget, there's always outlet shops, and that can help keep costs down. Yeah, but they're so physically and emotionally draining. Rob, let's not forget it was your idea to go. Well, staying for five hours wasn't my idea. But anyway, all that hanging around actually wasn't in vain. Eventually, I wandered into some of those other stores, and I couldn't believe my eyes. This year, the Prego look is in. Maybe this is just the tail end of that 80s baggy clothing revival, but for some reason... Flat-bellied women everywhere are going gaga for those trapeze tops that flay outward. Uh, I have another word for these kinds of shirts, though. I call them smocks. Anyway, the other day, Anna came home wearing a black and white striped shirt that made me think she just got back from an afternoon painting still lives. Okay, wait a second. Calling me Frida Prego is not really a compliment. She did have a unibrow. It's endearing. Okay. (laughs) Well, as for my beautiful wife, Anna... Her tummy is continuing to grow and expand, and her clothing options are continuing to dwindle. But now I'm not so afraid of our next shopping trip, now that I know her options aren't so limited. And yet, I'm also aware of how fickle fashion trends are, and that this heavy volume look won't last forever. But I'm hoping it does stay popular for at least the next few months. You know, Rob, we really should start buying baby clothes soon. Please don't remind me. That's Rob Sachs and his wife, Anna. They and their soon-to-be first child live in Washington, D.C. at the print shop here. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us here on B-Side. Well, thanks for coming here and having a little fun. Yeah, it's definitely very fun. So I think uh, Charlie is going to take us now to to the store, to the retail store. Retail store of Doom. Fun, and remember, it is not a store, it is a community center. That's right. 
This is Charlie Festa, and we are uh, currently at the corner of Broadway and Wellington. Uh, we're standing right in front of the Threadless Retail Store, and uh, this is the display window right here. And and it's only been open for a few months, right? Yes, 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 it has. Hello, Ursula. It is excellent, Ursula. This is Tamara. Hey, then this is B-Side Radio. Cool. So now we are in the store. Yes, this is floor level... What is this? Is this zero? Is that one? Is that floor one up there? Uh, one and a half. One and a half. Yeah, so this is, uh, this is where all the shirts are sold. I mean, this is, uh, you know, the designs are put here. You got the girly and the guy shirts, and then in the monitor above, you have the, uh, the design and... Sometimes it runs comments from the blogs and all that on there, so it's, it's kind of cool. Do you ever wear costumes just, just to do it? Um, well, every Sunday I have an orange penitentiary jumpsuit that I put on every Sunday, and it has a Bears logo on the back of it, and I go out and watch the Bears with it on. And it's kind of like a costume, I guess, but it's more just because I like the Bears. So I, I, that, but for the most part, I never, I never dress up or anything like that. Yeah, um, Eve Abrams, she's one of our contributors at B-Side. She moved to New Orleans uh, a couple of years ago, and she made this discovery that people in New Orleans don't even really need an excuse to wear a costume, that there's this whole culture of costuming. I like that. I really do. And I've never been to New Orleans, so I've, I've never, you know, I could never, you know, see that happen or I've never seen it happen but I know that in New Orleans you know it's just that whole you know even like the face mask with the feathers and Mardi Gras and all that you know it's like a celebration all the time I guess I don't know I, I've never been but I could see how in New Orleans it could be uh, you know a little bit more acceptable to wear costumes every day well Eve met some people who do wear costumes every day well not every day and here's her story Okay. If there's a 12-step program to becoming a New Orleanian, step one is learning your limits. Step two, learning how to dress up. Step three, learning how to let loose, and so on. When you're in costume, you kind of metamorphize into something not yourself. You really kind of take on this different persona. You really do. You kind of get into, you get into the character. How do I get ready? I dump everything out. Like this is bags full of underwear and, and, and stuff. This is a bag full of stockings. I just dump everything and go through it. And at some later point, I'll clean up. This was my stinging caterpillar outfit. And this was really, 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 really hot <laughs> to wear. Because I had a headpiece and goggles and furry shoes that I'd wear. And I walked around and told people to make larvae, not war. Every day is Mardi Gras. Don't need no excuse to party, bro. Go get your costume on and meet me at the bar, cause every day is Mardi Gras. My name is Monique Leon, and come on, take a look at my costume closet. I'm on the top of my ladder, practically on top of the closet that I have. My Mardi Gras boxes. How many boxes? 
Five. You'd think I'd remember. Five very <laughs> large Rubbermaid containers with lids off because they're so full that I can't close them. And I'm always shifting stuff around. Wow. Mm-hmm. I know. Isn't it wonderful? Wow. One box is completely devoted just to wings. Mm-hmm. Yep. Some of them are feathers. Some of them are paper mache. So how come you have so many different kinds of wings? Why do you need different wings? Oh, well, why does a woman wear different kinds of lipstick? I mean, it's a mood, you know? You just have to have you just have to have them for that right moment because you just don't always feel like wearing, you know, the dark black goth-looking wings. Sometimes you want to have that, you know, candy apple red ones that you're wearing. You, you know, it's a mood. When I came down here, I found out that there was a huge costume culture you weren't the oddball if you were the one that dressed up. You were the oddball if you didn't dress up. And I saw what they were doing is like they were just, they were transforming themselves for that moment. They were enjoying that, that playtime just for that moment. It wasn't about changing who you were. Like I, I felt like by costuming, I was making fun of myself, you know, but then I realized yeah, why not, you know? You can be not you for a, a moment. And that's when the, I saw the light. That's when I, I realized that this is like, okay, it's adult playtime. It's mass hysteria down here, and not hysteria in, in a bad sense. It's like everyone agrees to dress up at certain times. You're like, we're going to have a playful time right now. And it's not... It's not weird. It's strange. You see somebody driving down the street on their bicycle and they've got a boa wrapped around their neck. You don't look at them with shock. It's, it's a curiosity like, ooh, where are they going? Why don't I know about that party? It's part of the culture that everybody does it. People want to be engaging. I think that's another part of the costuming because it's not just, here's my costume, look at me. It's about how much response you get. You want to lure somebody to take your picture or say something sassy to you or, you know, just want to ask you, what's your costume all about? You know, what, what, what was that little head trip you were on when you were making it? And it gives you an excuse to stare at other people. It's okay to walk right up to somebody and say, I can't believe how amazing you look. It breaks down the barriers. Purple pom-poms? Boas? Purple, pink and purple, powder puff pink, lavender yellow, fuchsia. Where else could I possibly do this? It's terrifying to think that there's nowhere else and that there could have been nowhere else to do it. Where would it have gone? What would we do? (laughs) It's very grim, actually, when you think about that. Is it one of the reasons you've decided to stay here? Oh, definitely. I was considering moving out of the city because I found that my money situation was not going to be very stable because of the hurricane. And uh, my ex-boyfriend put dibs on my on my Mardi Gras boxes. He said, well, if you leave, you're not going to be able to use your costumes anywhere else, so can I have your Mardi Gras boxes? And I panicked. I was like, absolutely not. If I'm going, I'm taking my Mardi Gras boxes with me. He's like, well, you won't be able to use them there or there or there. And I started to feel really, really nervous, like, oh, no. Well, geez, what should I do? It's just so much easier to stay here. 
That story was produced by Eve Abrams, who may or may not be wearing wings right now. <laughs> and uh, that's all for this edition of B-Side. Uh, we have spent this time uh, hanging out uh, with Charlie Festa from Threadless.com. And thank you for being on B-Side. Thank you very much for having me. And I hope that any time you're in Chicago that you, you know, make your way to find me or our shop or headquarters. Absolutely. This show was produced by Jody Avergan with contributions from Claudine Zapp, Renee Gattel, Rob Sachs, and Eve Abrams. If you want to learn more about B-Side and our crew and see pictures from our adventures at threadless.com, check out the website. It's bsideradio.org. That's the letter B-S-I-D-E radio.org. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.